sing a song based on Philippians chapter 4. Think on these things and the things that mentioned in that song that we should think on, on things that are lovely, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. Um, there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So that challenges us to not just let our thoughts flow in whatever direction, <laughs> but to focus our thoughts. Um, if I let my thoughts flow anywhere, I'm subject to whatever circumstances I come across. Somebody says something mean to me, then my thoughts just fly away in that direction. We're to think on the things that direct our thoughts towards God's thinking. Uh, today I wanted to share from Philippians chapter 2 um, as we uh, just give thought today, as we think about our prayer time. Isn't really connected, but today I did something that I had never done in all of my life. I did something I've never done in all of my life. I filled up my vehicle with gas and it cost me over a hundred dollars. <laughs> never did that in all my life. Never had to pay <laughs> that amount of money for a fill up. But one of the reasons why I never had to pay that amount is because I used my debit card and it always the, the gas station I was at always gave me a limit as to, you know, it pumped the gas up to seventy something dollars and then it would automatically shut off. I don't know why it did that. But it would do that. But this time, I guess they took the limit off because they knew that <laughs> you're going to fill up a vehicle, you're probably going to need a little bit more money. <laughs> and my truck uses that much money, so it uses that much gas. So it just shows you we're in some difficult times. These things are affecting us financially. They're affecting us in so many different ways. So you're under that duress. You're under the stress of everyday life. Welcome to the real world, right? <laughs> That's the world that we live in. And as we face these things, um, we want to we um, face these things in our walk with Christ, with an attitude of trusting in Christ and being a testimony for him wherever we go. <coughs> I was, I was um, just kind of doing meditating on this verse today and that's in Philippians chapter 2 the whole section is verse 5 through um, 16 so let me read that section and just pull out a thought here or there Philippians 2 5 through 16 have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, 
as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. It's actually the last part of that section that, that was part of my meditation. And Heidi mentioned it in, her, in the uh, worship time that her word for the day was, um, was um, not grumbling or complaining. It's a verse 14. It says, do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Well, me filling my tank of, up with gas today made me think about the crooked and twisted generation that we live in. You might think it's strange to find a connection between that and, and the, the world that we live in. But it, it shows the world that we live in. And, you know, I don't think I'm that old, but, but I remember when gas was much cheaper <laughs> and it was less than a dollar a gallon. In fact, <laughs> I can tell you stories. Uh, when I first started driving, that's where the gas price was. And it was right in the boom where, where prices were increasing. And it was a major thing at the pump because pumps weren't, weren't um, set up to go with uh, any gas that was over a dollar a gallon. So it, it, you had to re, uh, re, re, uh, um, um, recalculate and, uh, all of the, uh, the gas pumps. So what they had to do was when gas went over a dollar a gallon, they basically um, charged it at half that amount and just had to double the price because the, the gas pumps couldn't go over a dollar. So they'd go like, if it was a dollar for a dollar and two, it'd be 51 cents per gallon. And then you'd have to double that price because they couldn't, they couldn't uh, calculate it for over that. It's just crazy. Um, but anyway, it says here, we're in a crooked and twisted generation. That affects us in so many different ways. Financially, it's just one of them. Um, but how are we to operate in this crooked and twisted generation? We should be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, it says. And we should be without grumbling and complaining. So... Our attitude should be that which is um, trusting in God and, and uh, seeing his hand in, in looking to, to his power um, for, for our well-being. Then it says in verse 16, holding fast to the word of life. And then Paul, Paul put this twist on it so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. That's really what I was thinking about today is <clears throat> so often we do things and it seems like it's in vain. If you're a parent and you're teaching your child, you wonder, is it sticking? Is it doing any good? Are they going to actually practice what you taught them? Or are they going to live a life of struggle because they did not do the basic things that you taught them to do? Is your teaching going to be in vain? If you're a teacher in the school, you think that. As a pastor, you think that. Is it in vain me talking each week 
and sharing truths that, that our people actually putting them into practice and benefiting from them. So Paul wanted to make sure that what he had done is, was not going to be in vain. And it just couldn't help. I don't know there's a connection with the Acts passage that I'm going through. It's probably one of the reasons why I was meditating on this today. And Paul is sitting in prison and wondering, Am I, is it doing any good? Is there any value to, to what I've done and what I've invested in? Um, and certainly uh, he would write <coughs> that um, 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 be not deceived, God is not mocked what a man sows he should also reap and he says uh, remembering that everything that we do for the Lord is of value it's not in vain and so we have to keep that in mind but he's saying that to others to say hey don't let what I've said be in vain live your life of faithfulness live your life in obedience to Christ um, and in fact the whole passage is talking about Jesus's obedience when it says that um um, verse 7 and 8 he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men being found in human form he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death that Jesus was obedient and he's saying that we need to practice that type of obedience as well let me just um, read Hebrews 12 as well um, verse 2 and then I'll wrap things up there Hebrews 12 2 says this looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him enduring the cro endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God <laughs> Jesus was obedient Jesus um, looked forward to what what he would experience in God's presence and he endured the hardships knowing that there was good to come. Um, we need to know that we're going to go through hardships before we experience glory. We're going to um, deal with some tough things here before we experience the joy of the Lord in its fullness. And so we should be encouraged that even though now might be tough, there is a time coming where we will enjoy that. Jesus says, it says here about Jesus that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. In other words, he had his mind on his um, relationship with the Father and what that would bring to him in the future, even though right now he was going through the most difficult time that he could ever go through. He was enduring the cross. Um, we are to endure the difficult times in our life thinking forward to what God has in store for us in the future. And I want to encourage you to keep that in mind, to allow that to be um, something that motivates, encourages, and spurs you on even in those down times that we are sure to have from time to time. Um, we're going to have them, but we look forward to that sure uh, um, time of joy that we'll experience uh, with God. So as we pray, um, we're praying for each other in our times. We're praying for our faithfulness, our endurance, and for our hope that is a real hope that's based on what God has in store for us.
Good evening, saints. We're going to be continuing our meditation in the Gospel of John. And we've been talking about the fact that the Gospel of John was written so that we might believe. And we saw last week that he spoke to a woman and he broke cultural barriers to speak to a lady that most people from Jews would not have spoken with, who was practicing a religion that was false. She understood some truths. Even in her understanding of truth, she still wasn't living by what she even understood yet. And Jesus ministered to her in that whole town, and they came to true faith because they believed in him. chapter 5. After this, there was a feast of the Jews. Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, Aramaic called Bethsaida, which has five root colonnades. And these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. Now I know some of you guys have verse 4. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. While I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is a Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me. That man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, but Jesus had withdrawn, because there was a crowd in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well. Sin no more, and nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. This is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. And this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. What's going on? Well, you'll know that Jesus gets in contact with this man this man has a strong desire to be healed. Now some of you guys in your text will have verse 4. And verse 4 is not mentioned in some of our texts. So you notice that it skips over it. So some of you guys have a verse 3 and it skips right to verse 5. Which is fine either way. And for those who do have verse 4, it includes a superstition where some people believe that an angel stirred the water at a certain time of the day and whoever touched the first wave of the water would be healed. This is what they believe. I don't know where that belief came from. I don't think it was even true, but it's something that they definitely believe. Okay, so just keep that in mind that this man here, he can't get up. He can't walk. But he has all his faith in this superstition. 
let's just think about the fact that this is probably the dumbest way to do. Why is it so dumb? It's dumb. And I'm not trying to insult the man, but uh, this, the reason it is dumb is because even if it was true, he had no power to do it. You know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of people who think they're going to be saved by keeping the Ten Commandments. They tell me, oh, I'll just be saved if I keep the Ten Commandments. Well, didn't you, like, lie just, like, a few days ago? Yeah, but I'm going to keep them from now on. But you've already broken them can't go back in time and unbreak them so you already are not saved so you're not going to be saved you can't be perfect from this point on you really think that's going to be honored you made up that arbitrary time space in your own head reminds me other people say well you know i'm a born again virgin no you're not there's lots of people saying that i know it sounds crazy it is but people say that i'm a born again virgin don't get me wrong, I want you to live pure now that you've been saved, but don't think that just because you're saved, that somehow changed the reality of your past. It didn't. So here we have a man who was locked in the superstition, and I think what really paralyzed him was his belief system. A belief system that would have a man who couldn't get up, thinking that if he could get up, he'd be healed by a superstition that he didn't see that he didn't know. That wasn't based on anything that was written. It was just based on an idea. Reminds me a lot of some people in my family who they told my wife, I don't believe in God, but I trust in the power of the stars. this whole process and he says to the man just get up and take your bed and walk I will note that the man does not seem particularly grateful as we look later in the story you might think that the man is innocent what he did I don't think so but I just want you to know first that the man is healed and he picks up his bed and walk and what day is it Sabbath. Why it gotta be the Sabbath, right? So the Jews see this man walking. You know, and just like me or you, he's like, okay, yeah, praise God, you're walking, but what about this bed, dude? This is a no walking bed zone. And that's what they're focused on. So it exposes the Jews, right? got this man who's stuck in his superstition. Nobody has taken him out of his superstition. Then we have a man who just got healed. And what is everybody focused on? Why you hold dead? Well, I mean, I just got healed. And who told you to do that? I, I, I don't know. Well, you need to find out. 
focus is on the Sabbath from here on. So then Jesus finds the guy. Jesus says something that people would say is rude. He said, see, you're doing good. Don't sin again so that something worse happened to you. <laughs> Who says that? Only Jesus, right? We don't say that. That's not to be said in common church. That's not something that we commonly tell people. But Jesus did, so maybe we should change it up. And this man is like, oh, that's who it did. And he told the Jews. And I think that's irresponsible because what did the Jews do? They seek to kill him. He says, God is working so I can work. make them happy anything but so what's the point why did Jesus heal this man what's the point of this chapter what's the point of this chapter I think that there is something that we have to look at here first let's contrast it with the last chapter the Samaritans believed and they saw no miracle now he did tell the lady something about her past that she didn't know powerful work is done in this man than just telling her past. Jesus could have secretly investigated her past. There's no way Jesus could secretly heal somebody, and that's a trick. The man knows it's a miracle. The Jews know it's a miracle. Later on, he's seen at the temple, which means he's recognizing that a healing has happened, and he's paying a price to the temple to thank God for that healing. That's part of the law. All this is happening, but do they believe in Jesus? men don't believe. The Jews don't believe. But the Samaritan woman who had five husbands, she believed. Their biggest problem is they don't like the fact that Jesus said God is working and I work because that made him equal with God. And if you look at the rest of the chapter it kind of exposes that that's what this chapter is about. Right? He starts to explain his relationship with the Father. And that's what separates Christianity from every other religion. Because everybody can recognize Jesus as a good guy. But it is not until you recognize him as God that you're getting it. And it is until you recognize him as God that you do not see the spiritual reality of what's real. So all of these people, they're still blind. And when Jesus warned that man and said, don't sin again, I think it was a warning against all of them for their lack of belief in him. We can oftentimes skip over the fact that it's the man who went and told on Jesus. He come right to the Pharisees, but there is no believers in the story except for Jesus. Not a single one. is people believe in Jesus but Jesus, Jesus did not believe in them. So that's where that chapter is. It's about belief. It's exposing. Somebody can be blinded by superstition. Somebody can be 